Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 665 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm fired up, Joe, today. Ready to go. Yes. Uh, had some extra energy drinks and pepperoni sticks, and you're ready to take on the day. That's right. So, uh, you, we're recording this a day early? Yeah. So it's coming out a day early because of the holiday? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't take days off sort of thing. Right, no days off. That's right. Um, but this is going to mess me up for the next eight days until we record the main show again. Yeah, um, what's going to throw me off is Saturday, Sunday, and then I didn't have to work today, Monday. The Cinnabon was down. So right. Tuesday, like, <laughs> I'll have a three-day week, and I'll be like, oh, my God. What right. Day is it? What so, day? Is it? Then the I go. I'll go for my books like a different time. Oh, I'm a mess. Like obviously, I'm we're off Tuesday for the holiday here in the states for Fourth of July. But I'm also off this upcoming Friday as well. Oh, that's right. You have every Friday until the end of time off now. Yeah, with the summer. Yeah. Um. So that like I have a three day work week, but it's like a day on, a day off, two days on, a day off. We recorded a day early. I'm going to make sure everything else is scheduled. Um, you know, we're all recording the Patreon show on Friday, so that'll be like a little bit of semblance in my life to come back. Right, that'll but, be a marker. But I'm going to reach out to you on Thursday thinking we got to record on Thursday. I'm going to re- reach out to Adam on Wednesday thinking we got to record at odds on Wednesday. Um, like, I'm not going to be right for eight days, and I'm not enjoying this at all. Yeah, I'll be fine eventually. I'll just sleep enough to get a fresh start. Right. So that's the dream is, um, you know, obviously with it being a holiday tomorrow and I can hopefully sleep like a good like eight to ten hours mm-hmm. and kind of right the ship a little bit, you know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but again, we are recording early, so not a ton of news, unfortunately. Um but it is some remarks and comments and so forth in regards to a cover scheme that they attempted to do for the upcoming big DC summer event that I think Todd and I both got bit by. Yep. Uh, we got conventions this weekend as well. We got what we read from this past week, which is Green Arrow number three. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, we have the continuation of Todd and Joe have issues as we're taking a little bit of a divergence from the main Sandman storyline. And we're reading the first two issues in the three issue miniseries of Death, The High Cost of Living. Uh, discussion of the most recent episodes of Secret Invasion, and Todd saw Indiana Jones 5 and the Dial of Destiny. Yes, there was no 5 in it, though. It's Indiana Jones 5. Right. So, again, like I said, light news. Um, so I guess there's issues or concerns or problems or complaints in regards to the fancy covers that they're doing for Night Terrors. Uh, Night Terrors is DC's summer crossover. Um, It may have connections to, at the very least, Golden Age Sandman, and possibly even the Sandman that we've been talking about all year. Right. And it's written by Joshua Williamson, and okay, and it's crossing over in a bunch of the other books that you and I both read, some of them are being written by the existing creative teams. Some of them aren't being written by the existing creative teams. 
So a majority of them aren't. So I'm like, okay, I could pick up an extra one book from DC this month because I'm not getting like four of the other ones that I normally get, you know? Right. Yep. Because they're just either not being published or they don't tie in. Um, right. And Todd and I both, you know, go to different websites to pick out what, you know, just to look to see what the variant covers are going to be. And whenever there's an event, there's always like some sort of, you know, glut of variant variant covers. Mm-hmm. And this uh, Night Terrors is no exception. And one of the variant covers for it is like this almost looks like a, a poster that you would get at Spencer's. Yeah, the black light posters. Yeah. So it's it's a neon cardstock cover, which I typically stay away from the cardstock covers. For mm-hmm. the DC books, because they're already a buck higher than usual. Yeah. But these ones are two bucks higher because it's not only the cardstock cover, but it's also like a fancy, like, whatever ink. Right, metallic colored something ink. Yeah, but I guess um, retailers are complaining because, of course, with the holiday, they got the books in a little bit early. So they got a chance to see what these books looked like. And they were complaining that they don't look the way that the pictures looked online for these books. Really? Wow. Yes. Now, I will say, our local retailer did get the books in early, and through a hard Lucite glass, I wasn't allowed to touch it or anything, because the mm-hmm. book, you know, we can't break street date on these things. He did let me look at what the book looks like, and I don't know, it still looks pretty cool to me in person, you know? Right. I had known that you got to see it through the Mona Lisa protection. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask you if how they look to you, because... I don't know if uh, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but some retailers can be really whiny over nothing. So that's where my mind was leading towards this with the the, the covers and the colors and stuff. Yeah, and I think a lot of it because you know it it feels it, it feels very nineties, and you know this it's th- there's one thing to do a nineties cover gimmick, but this just looks different. It feels different. It kind of pops, you know. Yeah, I don't. I man, I get like I know I'm not a gimmick cover guy. I, I'm with you, and, and I don't feel like this feels like a '90s gimmick. I just feel this feels like a black light poster, like we said, which I don't know. Which at least is something new that I haven't seen. So yeah, I, but let's just put it this way. This way, it's an NFT, so I'm not getting. Gotcha. And I, I guess, you know, the, you know, they were saying like the colors are washed out. They look more foil than neon. And like I said, the one I saw in person looked still pretty cool. You mm-hmm. know, it's, I think this is much ado about nothing, but this is like the news we got, you know? Yep. Um, I feel as though we're, cause we're two weeks away from San Diego and a lot of the publishers, since we talked last week, the uh, studios aren't sending people um, for the movies or the TV shows for the most part. So it looks like the publishers are actually stepping up. Yeah, and we'll which, probably have more information about that next week. Obviously, recording early. We're missing the cutoff for some of that stuff. Um, I do know that probably next week, if there are any exclusives, we'll know about them then. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll do our best to kind of keep on top of those sort of things. If you are going to San Diego or you are sending someone or you're looking for the exclusives, 
we'll do what we can to kind of make sure that we cover things here next week as they come out, you know? And hope that I don't want any, so. Yeah, let's hope that Todd doesn't want any. I hope there's tons of figures that you want, though, Joe. I unless unless they do like a uh, well they the WWE San Diego Comic Con exclusive got spoiled maybe and it's not anything that I'd be interested in but if they did like a Rio Rogers figure or something uh, like that you know maybe Street Posse three pack Mean Street Posse three pack mm. these are things that I would want um, Naked Midian. These are the figures that are on my wish list. Right, right. A new Honky Tonk Man. What's wrong with the old Honky Tonk Man? He's tough to come by. They haven't done mm. a Honky Tonk Man figure in a long, long time. Gotcha. Um, but we're speaking about conventions, of course. There are some conventions this weekend. Uh, this one stuck out to me just because of the sheer name of it. Thomas J. Henry's Superhero Comic Con and Car Show. Right. Uh, in San, in San Antonio, Texas, right? Couple comic book folks there, Larry Hama, Tony Harris, you know, your regular names, right? Mm-hmm. But then you get to your media guests, Elizabeth Olsen is going to be there. Andrew Garfield is going to be there. Brie Larson is going to be there. Uh, Chuck Woody Awuji, who played Murr in Peacemaker and High Evolutionary in Guardians 3. Mm-hmm. They don't really do the convention circuit too much. No, they don't. Or at all, right? They must be shooting in town that week. They must be doing something. And then from the world of sports and entertainment, Jade Cargill and MJF are going to be there. Whatever. MJF. Um, I don't know. Don't wear flats around him, I guess. I don't know. Um, But Brie Larson, Andrew Garfield, it's just like weird to see those names. Like those are like heavy hitter names. Like, and... If this isn't their first convention appearance, like, it's definitely their first non-San Diego uh, comic book convention. Like, remember the one time when they were promoting the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie? Like, he showed up in the costume like he was a fan asking a question to the panel and they did, like, a fake out? Right, they did the reveal. I will say they might have done New York Comic Con at some point, you know? Yeah, but to be but to be doing Thomas J. Henry's car show is another thing, you know? Right. I want to know what cars are going to be there. Uh, you know, I, I looked at the site and they weren't really pushing um, what cars were going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have, it just says, see the superhero car show. Right, right. Do we have any uh, fan expos? You know, those that aren't going to ah. stay around long, Joe? Because outside of Florida, they don't make any money. Well, so, so th- now this is where you, we need to make a distinction. There's a difference between fan expo and fanboy expo. It's two different oh, companies. They snuck a boy in there, Joe. <laughs> oh, boy. Come on now. Um, but fanboy expo in Knoxville. Uh, no comic book people. Looks like it's just like your media type folks, right? Uh, you've got Wayne Knight, John Glover, Kevin Nash, and this is like the third time he's been mentioned on summer convention season, but Jesse the Body Ventura is out there, folks. He's making a comeback. That's right. Have him sign the action figure in thermite paint or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But we've got not one, not two, but three triple photo opportunity opportunities. There's that word again, 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 again. 
so we've got Ralph Macchio, William Zabka, Martin Cove, your three principals from the Cobra Kai TV show. Mm-hmm. We've got Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, and Joey Lauren Adams. Eh, you mall rats. You chasing Amy. You're Kevin Smith view universe, folks, right? Right. I want to ask Joey Lauren Adams about the Married with Children spin off Top of the Heat. <laughs> What was Joe Bologna really like? <laughs> Tell me everything. But then we've got Todd. Dorothy Lyman, Alan Kaiser, and Vicky Lawrence. That's um, right, Todd. Mama's it's the family? Mama's Family Opportunity. Oof. I'll say this. I actively disliked Mama's Family. Really? Yeah, I, there was something about it that I just like it, it. It rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. I would not say that I was a lover or a hater of the show, mm-hmm. but watching professional wrestling on on the Turner Broadcasting System, mm-hmm. you had no choice but to either. Leading in or leading out of Mama's family for your wrestling, right? Especially if there was a Braves rain delay. Oh, <laughs> and I don't think the principles of Andy Griffith are going to be making uh, any convention appearances. So I'm aware of Mama's family. It definitely wasn't my humor, but it's interesting to see it being advertised as a Mama's family branded meet and greet. <laughs> Right, it's gonna be like the Bonanza reunion on The Simpsons. <laughs> Weren't there uh, three last year? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, the links to these conventions, if you're in the immediate area of them, or you want to, you know, bar the copter this weekend to go get a picture with uh, Alan Kaiser, uh, will be in the show notes to this episode, along with information about soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com anytime any of the shows in the network go live you can find them there at soon to be named network.com had some hiccups with the social media this weekend maybe more on that on after dark this week uh but that includes this show uh long box heroes after dark uh at odds with wrestling final wrestling place we need wrestling puzzle warriors three profane arguments uh, Wings on Wings, Hayabusi, uh, and of course all the previous shows that haven't had new episodes in a while, boutique shows, whatever it is, or anytime any of these folks from those shows show up on other shows, you could find them there at soon-to-be-named-network.com. Right. You could check out some of our other friends and the stuff that they're doing around the internet. Go check out our friend Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog at maskedlibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Go check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter at the Indiegogo page. Go check out Chris Runt's Battle Monsters at fortressofcomicnews.com. Go check out our friend Dave from the band Cave People, the comic that he and Rosovia have put together at keepercomic.bigcartel.com. Go check out our friend Becky's social media, which is linked up here as well, for some of the process and commissions and art that she puts on the packages that go out from the comic book shop 
on her social media. I saw she just put something up recently uh, as we're recording this here today. Mm -hmm. And I think we're nearing the end, but I would be remiss not to mention it. Um, Has it been closed yet? No. You could still go through our comic book shop, Comics on the Green's website, and get your store-exclusive copy of Conan number one from Titan Publishing coming out on July 23rd of this year with a cover done by famed comic book artist Mark Schultz. And in the cover with Conan himself is the leader, the brains of the operation of the comic book shop, Max. Right, or at least the face of the operation. The face? The face. Uh, but pre-order that comic. Um, check out the new Conan book coming from Titan Publishing. Get the Mark Schultz cover. I've pre-ordered mine. I think it's limited to 500. Yep. Um, the page is still there, so uh, pre-orders have not been shut off yet, but we are two weeks away from the book coming out. So, uh, you know, the clock is ticking, folks. Right. And there might be a del- uh, not a delay, but you know what I mean? That the, the book might come out. I don't know if it comes out the same week or maybe a week or two after, but we'll see. Gotcha. Um, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Uh, we both had the same book that we we're both looking forward to. So I'm right. going to let you go first. Right. Oh, OK. Which was Green Arrow number three, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Sean Izoski. I'm guessing that's how it said. Um, yes. With uh, uh, Roy's daughters, Leon, right? Yes, Leon. So Leon and uh, Ollie are like jumping from place to place, time to time. um, And they end up landing in the uh, Legion of Heroes, superheroes time. And so Ollie and Connor get reunited. Connor's somehow maybe an honorary member of the Legion of Superheroes. He's got a flight ring. That's all that matters. Um, We get to see uh dc uh is becoming the uh company of hugs we get a cool hug between ollie and uh and connor hawk and we get the story of why leon like she's like how she kind of survived we don't know how she survived but after the explosion like kind of what happened um and how she was kind of found by amanda waller um and we kind of get the story of uh Roy and Black Canary going to go talk to Amanda Connor and they end up meeting with Peacemaker and they kind of have a duel, which was kind of funny because like Peacemaker is like a big dumb lug in this too and makes a mistake choosing what he's going to do to to go up against Roy for. Um, and we end up finding out why the, the, the family has to be kept apart and who is actually keeping them apart because Ollie kind of knows the stories like I got this message and this is it. And Leon's like, this is the reason you're doing it. This is really stupid. We should become a family again, no matter what this prophecy says. Um, let's do this. And Ollie's kind of like, this sounds like a good plan, even though it could go awry. And then a Green Lantern shows up in the Legion of Superheroes times. But there are no Green Lanterns in like at this time in DC continuity. So one do- does show up that knows Ollie and who it is fascinates me especially um i don't know since it's been about 30 years that's all i'm gonna say um i really enjoyed this issue after a rough first issue i think this is starting to fire on all cylinders now i like the main story with ollie and leon Mm -hmm. um you know we're getting the revelation here as to why they're being kept apart as you mentioned but then we have the b story and we talked about it last week where this is now the third book that Peacemaker has shown up in. 
Right. Since we're in a peacemaker renaissance. <laughs> and I wouldn't know that lady peacemaker's name is Peace Wrecker if I didn't read the solicitations. Yeah. They don't say it in the book. And they treat her as a character that we should know and have known for quite some time. I feel but, as though for the B story, there were pages missing. No, I get you. I think they're doing like a, not a good job, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is her first appearance. I'll check that uh, CLZ app just to make sure. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. Like, she just shows up with no introduction, no fanfare. It's just like, oh, here's a lady peacemaker. Enjoy, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is where I fear that they're going to try to make Peacemaker the Deadpool of the DC Universe. I think we're on our way, so get get used to it, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I feel as though he and John Cena both deserve better than that. So me decrying that part of the book, the A-story stuff is great. Um, You know, anytime we get to see um, Ollie have to buck the system... When he himself may be the system, spoilers ish, I guess, right. kind of, um, is always fun because Ollie works best when he has someone to rally against or someone to t say no to or someone to stick it in the face of, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, like, and I didn't see, so I didn't see the twist coming with the Legion of Superheroes. I didn't see the twist coming at the end of the issue, but it's all done in a way that makes sense. Right. And three issues in, you know, this is one of those books where if they didn't grab you on issue one, you might have dropped it. But if you hung in there for issue through three, you're on board. Everything makes sense. Right. I At totally least in agree. the A story. So. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, it's an early week. It was a short week for us this past week. Um, so, again, we didn't have much else that we crossed over on. But. Um, we do have stuff that we cross over on this week because if you head over to Longbox Heroes, usually every Tuesday, this time Monday, around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead over Todd with four correct guesses. Right. And I'm looking at your list and I'm going to take a stab and say the book that you're looking forward to coming out this week is I Hate This Place number 10. It is I Hate This Place number 10. I'm looking to see how, how this, you know, it's the final issue, which we were both kind of surprised at when we, you know, did find out because we don't read solicitations. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how they close the loop on this story. Is it also the same for you, Joe? It is the same for me. Um, again, a lot of heavy hitters this week, a lot of new number ones uh, as well, but where we had a couple weeks there, we had not one, but two, but three Kyle Starks books all coming out on the same day. Right. Um, the last two times it was Peacemaker this time, because it's the finale of I hate this place. I got to see how everything gets wrapped up. I hope now, they sneak in a way that they could do more of this or um, I have faith that Kyle will stick the landing and we get a satisfactory ending to close things out for our leads, you know? 
Yep. And what I didn't ask about, because I didn't want to trip myself up, was what's Night of the Ghoul trade paperback? Is that mm-hmm. a new stuff or? Night of the Ghoul is a three-issue prestige miniseries uh, right. from Dark Horse that was by Scott Snyder and Francisco Francavilla. Okay. Um, and it was one of those things, it's like, okay, it's prestige-sized, um, it's the square-bound, it's like 48-page issues, it's a miniseries that's coming out sporadically, I'll wait for the trade on that. Uh, Scott Snyder and Francisco Francavilla did the Black Mirror Batman book story in Detective Comics. Right, right. And that's a team that I like very much, and I'd be more willing to give a role uh, on a tr- on a collection as opposed to three six dollar single issues. No, I get it. I was just curious if it was new material. That's why, if it, it counted, you know what I mean. It is new material, but it does not. It's it's not what I'm most looking forward to. Right, right. I'm glad you didn't trip yourself up. I do occasionally. So uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current ongoing saga of Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we're doing a complete reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And again, it's not just the 75 issues. It's the one-shots. It's the short stories. It's stories off the back of a box for a statue. And this time, it's the first official miniseries that was coming out alongside Sandman, uh, taking their most popular character, Death, and having her star in her own series, Death, The High Cost of Living. We read the first two issues of this, and there's one of those times where I just sit back and I allow Todd to take the reins, and I just chime in and go, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so this starts out around at the time, obviously, that all Sandman was going on. Um, and it's June of that month. And uh, Mad Hetty, you know, is asking us, uh, one of these young kids, these young street toughs, you know what I mean, to uh, bring her a dove. And they're like, well, they're hard to find. Uh, but they ended up doing it. And Mad Hetty gives them their money. But they're like, that's we think that's so little for what it is. Um, and they end up, well, maybe you have more. I saw a story where, you know, sometime old crazy old ladies have tons of money on them and they're going to try and take it. And she's like, that's not a good idea. And they're like, what are you going to do? She's like this. And they do a cool thing where she ends up using magic against them, but not like your Harry Potter magic with like lightning bolts and stuff. She cracks a stick and it breaks the one girl's leg and then she makes a line on the ground and one person can't stop staring at it. Um, but they end up realizing, uh, that, you know, that she's magic and they're like calling her a witch. Uh, she's like, you know, whatever. And she goes away with the bird and ends up, uh, you know, sacrificing it. And she realizes that something's coming back. She's like, she had to come back sooner or later and I'm not going to uh, miss her this time. Um, cut to July, and now we're in New York uh, by the, you know, the the skyline that we can see. And uh, what's the guy's name? Is Sexton Furnival, who talks about how you know he's heard all the jokes, so that you'll have nothing to do with it. And he's think he's basically writing a note on his computer about you know it's his note that he's going to take his own life, and it's all the reasons, and it's you know it. 
it's very like as an old as a younger person reading this, I understood the character more. And as I as I'm older, it's kind of weird. Like all the reasons that he has is because he doesn't care about anything. There's nothing that he loves. There's nothing that he hates. You know, he talks about his mother, who reading it now still kind of like takes me back because he talks about her using her like real name, not mom. As he talks about his her, his dad as Steve and he's a lawyer who, uh, who left to go be an entertainment lawyer. Um, and it's just weird. Some of the things that he talks about is like, uh, like, and the other thing is I don't believe in anything. Uh, like my mother believed in everything. So I'm like the opposite of her and she's this hippie restaurant owner and she comes back and is just like, you need to get out of the house. Uh, and he's like, well, I guess this can wait. And he saves the 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 note, but he really doesn't want anything to do with her kind of, kind of a deal. And he goes out, he walks down the hallway, and he sees this. Uh, well, uh, I, let me on, just inter- yeah, let me just interject here, right? So mm-hmm. uh, he calls his mom Sylvia to her face, and she doesn't sell it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, you know, says that she's in the midst of spring cleaning, right. and. Neil Gaiman, in the writing of Sexton, I think does a fantastic job of capturing the angst, the, let's say the angstiness slash faux angstiness of a 90s teenager. Yes, definitely. Without making it seem cliche, but also giving the character his own voice, for better or for worse, which we'll kind of get into, because I want to, I want to specifically freeze on um, bring up a part where Sylvia, Sexton's mom, says, spring cleaning, I mean, just look at this apartment, it stinks, and says, I think maybe you should go out for the rest of the afternoon. I'm in Earth Mother mode, and these little fingers itch to create, like the mole at the beginning of Wind of the Will- Willows. Key information before Sexton leaves the apartment, which we're going to come back to, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. With the, the next part, the kid in the uh, hallway. Yeah, um... And she, Billy, what would you call his, uh, he was born quadriplegic, let's say kind of a deal. Yeah. And can't really talk and goes out and talks to like, uh, talks to Billy and he's like, I cleaning out, I'll be out late. And she's like, Oh, is is my son, is Billy Bobby? He's like, no, I, I, he just gets bored sometimes. So it's fine. I'll be seeing seeing you by Billy. I like that. He actually talks to Billy, you know, that's kind of a, a nice touch. And he goes to the landfill um, and ends up, you know, standing on this refrigerator looking over the dump. And it ends up, the pile ends up collapsing and he gets trapped under the uh, the garbage and the refrigerator. And he ends up yelling and uh, somebody shows up to uh, talk to him. And it's, uh, we get her name a little bit later. It's Dee Dee, but it's death. And he does, she does like a little bit where he's like, you know, that was kind of dumb to, to fall like that. And he's like, well, I need your help. He's like, well, if you're going to talk like that, I'm leaving. Like, no, no. And she ends up getting him out and, uh, they end up, he's like bleeding and they, they like shake hands and there's death in all her glory as Dee Dee standing there by Chris Bacallo and just an amazing take on Chris Bacallo's art as, you know, death standing there. And it made me realize how many things on posters, poster, uh, posters, ads, merchandise, how many panels they lift from this book for stuff like that, Joe. Bacallo's art 
you know, I know we you, you talked about it in the the post that you put out. Um, is perfect on this. This to me is Chris Bacallo, um at the height of his powers. And I know you say you like his stuff now, but it's 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 not for me. This is the Chris Bacallo, uh that I absolutely love. Yeah, his his art nowadays has gotten a little bit more exaggerated, a little bit more wonky, whatever verbiage you want to throw onto it, right? Mm-hmm. But this is like there is no argument. Height of powers. Chris Bacallo at his peak, hitting on every possible cylinder that he possibly can. And, and as Todd mentioned, as, as we go on, we're going to point out several instances of this. But his interpretation of death in this miniseries is nothing short of iconic. Mm-hmm. And there are so many panels, specifically the panel that you mentioned where uh, Death, Dee Dee, whatever, gets Sexton to his feet, and she's there in the full body shot, helping him to his feet. You mentioned you see her in all of her glory, but, like, this is the first of, literally in these two issues, dozens of panels, where she looks like the most adorable person in the world. Yep, it's almost like I'm madly in love with her, Joe. <laughs> Now, I, I ask this question, and, you know, I don't know if this is something that you know or you have a take on any of this is, so, you know, Sexton goes to the, the dump, he falls, was he going there to kill himself? Was he not going there to kill himself? Um, is it just a coincidence that she's here? Because obviously she typically shows up when, you know, you've lived your life. But we're going to learn shortly that she's not here on official business. Yeah, I feel that he 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 was contemplating at least. I don't know if he was going to do it right there, mm-hmm. but he left the message on the computer. I don't know because I don't know. I don't know if he was going to print it out or was hoping somebody would find it. You know what I mean? So I, I, I feel the part before where he was reading his writing his note that the note was not finished. Exactly. Yeah. But he went to, like, contemplate it, and she ends up saying, like, well, you're bleeding. You should probably need a tetanus shot. Come back to my place, and, you know, I'll fix you up. I'll even fix your jeans. And I like that she ends up saying, like, well, at least the holes that, you know, that aren't meant to be there later on, she says. And she asks him, like, what were you doing in a dump? And, Joe, it may be my favorite lines in all of Sandman. How dare you? Just that, what were you thinking about? She, I was just thinking, anything in particular? And Sexton says, just that I don't want to live in the same world as the World Wrestling Federation and the Home Shopping Network. Joe, I could tolerate one of those things, but not two. Well, luckily, um, the World Wrestling Federation is no more, Todd. Right, good. I wish it really was no more. It's been replaced by the World Wrestling Entertainment. And the World Wildlife Federation. Um. But uh, so they go back to her place and we meet Mrs. Robbins, um, who, you know, is kind of has a fruit stand and everything. She ends up giving her some uh, some food for free kind of a deal. Uh, and uh, like there's a package for her, uh, that's left. It was like nice. And she says, look, like social service was here again. And I got them to go away, but they will be back. And is this where he tells that she tells the story? Uh, no. Yeah, he tells her this. Tells oh yeah, Sexton. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So Miss Robinson of the Fruit Sand tells Sexton what's up with Dee Dee. 
yes, that her family was killed, like the whole family was killed when a car plowed up on the 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 road, killing all of them, and some guy selling cheap watches in a suitcase. Uh, uh, I like that. So they get into the apartment, and she says, like, take your pants off, and I'll clean them. And he's like, well, he's like, not that you're not cute or anything, but, uh, like, just the pants kind of a deal. That's kind of funny. And he goes, and he, you know, puts antiseptic on it. And like I said, she she fixes it, except for the the, the holes that you that I think you want to keep. She's like, I'm sorry about your family. She's like, you know about my family? Well, I'm going to stop you there. Mm-hmm. So when she says, you know my family, and she's got, like, big wide eyes, because she's <laughs> thinking not the, the, the working family. She's thinking the shoot family. Right. And then the facial expression changes when he's like, you know, the lady downstairs told me about the guy killing the car. And that's really awful. And he's saying it's really awful. She's got a smile like she's relieved. And like her talking about them because they're not real. You know what I mean? Like, don't they look like nice people? And he's like, they look like nice people. Like, are you on drugs? And that's she's like, no, no, like not kind of a deal. And then he and she introduces him to her goldfish. We finally get their names. Uh, they're uh, the the orange the big orange one is slim and the yellow one's called Wandsworth. Um, uh, so he's still talking about the family. He's like, it's uh, like, uh, were you saying they look kind of nice? Like uh, they never existed. He's like, what? There are people in the photographs, and she's like, well, I'm just hours old, and you know, she, the, it's the she says this is the universe's first. way of making things more comfortable for me. Right. Um, and he's basically like, you're kind of. You know, crazy. Like, there's something wrong. You really should see one, someone. And I like that she says, "Oh, that's no problem, Sexton. Sooner or later, I see everyone." He's like, "Sure, at the end, anyway." And he's like, "What? At the end of what life?" It's like, "So you know what happens when people die?" She's like, "Of course, I know what happens when when you die, Sexton. I'm death." And that shot right there—that's another one. That—that's a lesser, like, detailed one. But I've seen that on. A bunch of merchandise, John. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, you know... Uh, so he, he leaves in a huff, mm-hmm. slams the door, and then we get that last panel on that page of her making like a, a well face. Mm-hmm. I wish that one was on more things, because that's a, that one's adorable. <laughs> yep, yeah, and that's actually, I believe, in certain ads for the... Uh, uh, you know, like for Sandman and Death, the high cost of living thing over the years. Um, so he's walking down the stairs thinking of that phrase, you know, that there's that French word for what you should have said in that situation, which is such like a Neil thing. Like even in all of Death, the high cost of living, like you learn something kind of like this is where I learned about that, that, that thing. And the the bit where he's walking down the stairs and there's that shot of Death, uh, you know, with her hand on her cheek. That was in, like, I have a cardboard stand-up that was used to sit on, like, desks and next to the register to promote this book. Another shot that uh, I absolutely love. Um, So he's like, she's crazy, I'm leaving. He goes out, somebody sets a a wire trap for him, and it's uh, Mad Hetty, and she ends up talking to Sexton, about, you know, I'm going to hurt you if you don't do what I say. I got a broken bottle. Um, and she ends up like, I'm here for the, the young lady. Uh, I'm, you know, a, uh, I'm 250 years old and I know a thing or two. Um, and I, you know, finally figured out that she's going to be here today. 
and she goes up to see her, and Depp knows who she is. And it's like, oh, it's you. Uh, it's me. Uh, she's like, I want you to find something for me, something that I hid, that I hid from you a long time ago. Um, and she's like, today you want me to do it? Today I'm nobody special, but Mad Hattie's like, you, you, you're special enough for me. And she's like, what do you want me to find? And she's like, I want you to find my, my heart. And if you don't, uh, I'm going to slice this boy's nose off, you know, and I will. And I believe Mad Hattie would do it, Joe. Now, we did get one more thing, uh, you know, Neil teaching us stuff where he talks about the myoclonic twitch, mm-hmm. um, where Hetty is giving this information to Sexton, essentially just like, it's that bit where you're like about to fall asleep and like your mind's wandering, you've crossed over the boundary between the sleeping and the waking, and then all of a sudden like your arm twitches, your leg twitches, and it brings you right back to reality. And mm-hmm. the fact that that has a name, and of course Neil works it into this, is fantastic as well. Um, but now we have like the crux of what our story is: Mad Hetty, who we've seen before in previous issues of Sandman, shows up. She knows death is here, so that lets us know that obviously she knows more than we've ever believed her to know. And the fact that she's willing to stand off with death and send t- death on this path to find her heart. Yep. And that's the end of issue one. And these issues, like, compared to Sandman, I, I didn't say it as we were going, are so dense with, like, yes. the, the the word text and everything. Like, me trying to find stuff as we're going is, like, like making my brain uh, melt. But uh, just it's beautiful to look at, too, as we go. So, And I do love the fact that you used the Platinum uh, Death number one as the cover. I don't know if you even knew you did that. I did. Come on. Right, because such a cool book. Joe, I may have a platinum comic of Death on Costa. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so uh, now we're on to issue two, which the beginning is just like a whole recap kind of a deal of Sexton, you know, recapping how the issue ended about like, you know, Mad Hetty and stuff like that. Um, and Can we... I make my only complaint about this issue? Is it the coloring? No. Okay. Coloring is beautiful. I was looking to see, and at least in my versions, I can't find who the colorist was, but I think this colorist, um, artist, inker combination is like top notch. Right. But for a good chunk of issue two, the way they do the word balloons where they kind of like fit into each other as opposed to block, 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 block. Yeah, they kind of get lost in who's speaking. Well, it's not that they get lost in who's speaking. Like, it's just the way that they're not, like, normal square blocks. They're kind of, like, you know, like, uh, different shaped when they fit into each other. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're looking at the bottom of page one of the issue two, right? If you have the issue there in front of you. Yeah. You see at the bottom of, like, how they, like, kind of fit into each other like that? I'm doing a real bad job of explaining what I mean. Right. They're 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 shaped. They're not rectangle. They're, like, off-putting, off-shaped. Yes. And the other ones kind of mimic that each each one lower, so they're like stacked. I don't like it. You know what? I, I that you didn't like it. I didn't even notice it until you said it. That's my hyper vigilance. I apologize. Right. So, like I said, he ends up uh, giving the whole you know lowdown of it, and then he's like, "I hate I hate it when things get surreal." Um, and she's like, and I, I thought this was last issue, but it's this was like, let me get this straight. You've hidden it from me, but you want me to find it. 
And she's like, eh, go find it kind of a deal. And any idea where you left it? And I like Madhead. He's like, mayhap I placed it in a duck egg, inside a duck, inside a well, in a castle, on an island, surrounded by a lake of fire, guarded by a hundred da- dragons, each larger and more ferocious than the last. And he's like, and maybe I did, maybe you didn't. She's like, well, it's been a long time. My mind goes a-wandering. And Death's like, okay, uh, going to do it. There's Coke in the fridge and coffee in the percolator, and you can help myself to, to your food. Um and she's like, your friend going away? He's like, yeah, he's not my young gentleman, but he can make himself useful. Uh, and they go out. And uh, Death wants a hot dog, so she stops at a hot dog stand. And he ends up uh, uh, giving it to her for free. He's like, you keep your money, nice little lady, on the summer evening. Um, you've just got such a nice smile, Sumi. He's like, thank you so much. Like, oh, like I never, you know. Kind of like he notices that it's weird that she's gave the hot dog. And I like Death eating a hot dog, asking, is the is the chemical aftertaste the reason why people eat hot dogs? Or is that uh, some kind of bonus? Uh, just, just... Uh, so two, two things I want – well, three. I, I can mention a million things. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the second instance in two issues where people have just given DD stuff for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the second instance in two issues – uh, where Didi gets food for free and is explaining what the experience of eating food is like as though it's the first time that she's eating these particular foods, whether it be the apple in the previous issue or the hot dog in this issue, right? Right. Um, and then we get the bit um, with her. Okay, so the hot dog guy's hitting on her. And the joke that he says about the Zen monk who orders a hot dog. Yep, I've used that a million times. Okay. I vividly remember at the time reading this when this came out, I had no idea what that joke meant. I did because I'll never forget. I had to look up Zen because in, and this is going to take us off topic, but we'll come back real quick. In the question by Dennis O'Neill and, uh, Denny O'Neill and Dennis Cohen at the end of each letters page, uh, they would, they would recommend a book and it was, uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle repair. Yeah. One of them, which is a famous book. So I ended up looking up Zen and blah, blah, blah. And that's the only, and that was around this time that I had read the question in in like buying back issues. So that's how I knew what, uh, the Zen joke meant. So stupid way to figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and he's like, they're talking, he's like, he basically asked her, do you have any fan, uh, friends? He's like millions and millions of them. Um, that nice hot dog man for a start. Uh, so they go, they get in a taxi to like, just go around. And she says, uh, uh, where are we going? He's like, ah, he's like, we're just going. Um, anyway, my brothers would say certain destinations are inevitable destiny. She's like, just tells the taxi driver, go into the city. Um, and I'll tell you when to stop. Well, she's looking for a party. She's looking right. for whatever, right? Yep, yep. Uh, so now we meet the villain, and I'm saying that with question mark uh, of the story. I think his name is like the Ariamite, or I, I don't know exactly. And Theo, and like the old guy's kind of teaching the the young kids stuff, and he ends up uh, asking him a question. He says, "I feel her coming." I said, 
I, I said, she's coming, Theo. And he says, so? And he just cracks him. And to show that he's the one in charge, he said, there are a million ways, like, you can, like there's a ways to answer me. Like, thank you, teacher, or I'm unworthy to kind of a deal. He's like, but so is not on the list. Um, and he's like, you didn't have to hit me. But he's bleeding. Theo's bleeding. He's like, I need that. He says, I would use my blood, but my blood's so black and old that uh, no conjurer kind of wants it. Um, and he's like, now go get me that thing. He's like, I have to bring you the girl. And if I can't get her, I have to get that key thing around her neck. He's like, it's the ankh, the symbol of life and the soul. It's no key, whatever. Um, he's like, well, here's blood. And when you get near her, uh, it, it, it will glow. So you, that's how you'll know you're getting close to her. And yeah, that's uh, the area might. I don't know if that means something in another language, but I would love to see it. And it seems like he's, he, like he's blind or something like that, Joe. So I want to mention when we first see this character on that first page in like kind of, you know, almost like a full body shot of him, mm -hmm. the way that he's drawn, like, I would say he almost looks like skeletal or like a yep. scarecrow almost, right? Yep. And then as the panels go on, his features become more defined. His nose fills out a little bit more. His jawline fills out a little bit more. His eye sockets fill out a little bit more until the last two or three panels we see of him where he no longer looks like we saw him in that first panel. Now, whether or not this is a conscious decision or whether this is just the way that he's perceiving himself now that death is that much closer. Right. But you, you, so he gets a little bit of Theo's blood in the jar, but he also puts some of his spit in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's that mixture that when Theo gets closer to death, the closer he gets to her, the more the vial, the cup, the whatever will glow, right? Mm -hmm. um, so now we have a second player in who has their sights set on death. And I don't know if we clearly spoke about this. Maybe we did last week or maybe I did in the write-up. Um, you know, obviously they hint around a little bit. Um, but once every hundred years, death becomes mortal and spends her day, spends three days amongst the mortals. One, 24 hours. 24 hours. Okay, my apologies. I thought it was three days, so 24 hours. Um, and the clock is ticking. Yep, because they did it. It was like basically in the main book at the time in Brief Lives, it gets mentioned. And they mentioned it once earlier and stuff like that. So it was kind of like almost like Neil knew what he was doing. Um, so we get back to the cab and the cab driver is explaining his life to Dee Dee Death. Um, he's like, yeah, he's like you know, telling him about coming to this country. Um, and she's like, oh, uh, thanks. What do I owe you? And he's like, uh, uh, nothing. Like He's like, but you, you, I don't like her. I like. <laughs> uh, you you give me two bucks for tip. Um, I just I just find that amusing because once again, death you know hasn't uh, paid for anything. Uh, so they get to the party, and oh, you know just one last thing. So as Sexton is leaving, he does ask the cab driver why he has a bulb of garlic hanging from his mirror, and the cab driver says it keeps the bad things away. Right, eh, that might come into play. Who knows? Yep. Uh, so like, you know, Sexton's downplaying the party because he's no, you know, not the popular kid. Um, and then we end up getting, uh, 
a, a character that we know is Hazel ends up showing up and she, he, she ends up knowing uh, Sexton because she was a chef uh, in Sylvia's Sexton's mom's uh, restaurant. And he was the best uh, cook that Sylvia ever had was kind of mad when she left. And uh, we find out like, you know, that we see that she's still pregnant from uh, what was it? The, not dolls. I was game of you. That's what I yep. was kind of. Go ahead. Sorry. Nope. I was just going to say game of you. Go ahead. Right. Um, and I like that they're talking. She's like, how long have you known talking to death? Like, how long have you known uh, sex? And he's like, I found him in a garbage dump this afternoon. It's like, you know, par for the course kind of uh, the thing. And uh, she's like, Fox Glove is, Fox Glove is here. And she's playing uh, the, the, the party and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and she explains like about, you know, how she got pregnant and kind of a deal. They're lovers. And, and uh, she asks him if she wants to feel the baby kicking and, you know, death taking in everything uh, that, you know, it is, she wants to feel it and she absolutely loves it. Um, and they're talking about, uh, what is it? Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little lost. There's a lot going on. In here. Okay. Let me, hang on. Let me, let me step in here. Cause um, uh, Sexton mentions to death that she doesn't pay for anything. And mm -hmm. she says, nobody lives for free, especially not me. I've got $10.02 on me. Again, important information that how much money she has on her, right? Right. Because that is going to come into play a little bit later on. Uh, there's also something I think it's either here or it comes up where um, Hazel had asked Sexton what he was doing out. And Sexton says, my mom kicked me out. Right. Okay. Is that what happened? No. No. Well, she, she okay. asked him to leave to get out and breathe some fresh air, but because she was going to clean. But the way that he takes that is, and the way that he tells other people is, she kicked me out. Mm -hmm. Again, he he's very much positioning himself in the way as a victim, you know. Right. Um, and I feel as though those two scenes very deliberate to be worded in the way that they were. Mm -hmm. um, um. So, oh, go ahead. I was going to say if there's anything else you had to add. So um, I'm at Foxglove taking the stage and singing her song. Yep. And she ends up saying, uh, she's like, you know, I'm singing this song. It's like, this is called Donna's Dream. It's about some people I knew. At least one of them is dead. And I, I she ends up singing this song. It's about Donna, which you go back to uh, 24 hours in the diner. And she was the one who was in love with Foxglove and hit her and left. And she got killed by John D and everything. And she ends up basically singing the, the, the story of that kind of like in her own terms. And I feel like I would love to know if there's music to all of this because it's absolutely, you know, haunting and takes me back to that diner issue. Right. And I'll just throw in there where we get the reaction shots of our principal characters, Hazel Sexton and death. Um, watching as Foxglove performs yet another image of death from this series that is an iconic image that is used in tons of stuff. Right. Um, just the top hat too, I love. I, I didn't get to mention. Um, and then Foxglove says she has another song. The next one is something that was inspired by my friend Wanda, said to me once by Wanda, she's dead too. Maybe it's contagious. And she ends up starting to sing the song. Um, 
so Sexton's kind of off on his own, and this guy starts asking him, like, what do you think of her? He's like, ah, kind of like, you know, dark enough for me. What are you, a critic or something? He's like, no, I'm from a, you know, a record company. He's like, what label? And he tells him, he's like, oh, do you know my father? Like, my dad, he works for them. He's like, oh, this guy? And he's like, yeah, that that's great. And he ends up kind of putting the, putting the band over. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, so you think she's got something? And he's walking away. He's like, here's my card. Look me up when you're L.A., okay? Um, so Sexton starts walking around. And at this point, Theo's coming with the jar. Like, he's getting closer and starting to glow. And he ends up, uh, Sexton ends up running into this girl with long, long gloves. And they end up talking. Um, and I like that he asked her, like, because uh, she has bright red hair. And he's like, is that your real hair color? He's like, sweet child, nobody's hair is really this color. Um, and, like, talking about age, and you never ask, uh, you know, a, a woman her, her age. And he's, like, talking, you know, he's being morbid and, you know, kind of off-putting. Talks about death and stuff like that. Um, and she ends up, like, talking about, like, you know, whatever, like, uh, isn't is it what you're talking about is insufficient to do what like to do something like that and she ends up telling this story of a person who's her friend whose father and friends were bad and stuff like that and she a, a very harrowing tale that we're not going to repeat here on right. this show let's say no, that no i wasn't going to say that but like and she's like in the end there was nothing that this person could do about it because they're all people of power and in the end she like woke up you know, in the hospital with her, with her, with, with her arms cut. And maybe she wears long gloves to hide that. You know what I mean? Um, he's like, so what happened? He's like, she came out to the big city. Doesn't everyone? It's like, well, well, thanks. I'm going to go see how my friend's doing. And he goes and he finds uh, death and she's, she's talking with Theo and he's trying to give her the Iggy that like this guy is bad. Cause he knows her from school. And I like that. She's, you know, like, don't tell me kind of what to do. Like, you don't have the right to do me. But he's like, this guy's a creep. Um, and, like, I've heard rumors about him and stuff like that. And he's like, well, come on with me. I know where there's a be- even a better party. Let's split. And she's like, yeah, but if I go, he gets to come with me. Um, and he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, so he's coming with us. I wouldn't want him to miss any of the fun, right? And there's another one of those smiling panels, Joe. Yeah. This girl could get me to do anything, <laughs> Joe. Now, I also want to mention one of the other panels where um, Theo is convincing Death to come with him. And it's the one where it's like, hey, I could show you a great time. I mean, a real great time. It's, you know, it's like panel. You see his face, his hands. He's got the cigarette and the smoke around him. I definitely feel as though he's not doing it, but I feel as though that panel is there to elicit to us, the readers, that he's kind of casting a spell on her. Or trying, at least. Right, like, I don't think he's doing it, and I don't think he has those sort of powers, but I definitely think that with that panel, that's what the intention is supposed to be. That we, the readers, are supposed to be that he has a hold over death. Yep. Um... And, you know, then we see, and there's those blocks, the text things that you hate, Joe, that now I notice because you told me. Right. 
Um, and he's and Sexton's thinking about Theo and telling the stories about like how he maybe you know was cruel to animals and stuff like that. Um, and he's like, "What am I still doing here?" But there's another shot of death. Any full, any full, like almost three quarter or full shot of death was used somewhere because that's another panel that I'm uh, 100% sure of uh, is was used in stuff. And as they're walking, I love uh, that Death is asking Theo which one he liked best, Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid. And he doesn't know what they are. He thinks they're bands. And like, oh, those are stupid Disney movies, cartoons for kids. And so Sexton actually has an interesting conversation with her about, you know, which one he prefers. And she ends up talking about uh, uh, that she liked The Little, Ma- Little Mermaid more, even though they'd given it a happy ending. My brother, one of my brothers anyway, he's kind of a purist about these things. But I don't see why she has to lose her soul and die everything. I like happy endings. I don't know if you know this, like the original Little Mermaid story is much more is like way more terrible when you actually. Yeah. So I like that. Like he he brought that up, and like me at the time, I was like, "What?" Um. Uh, so he ends up taking him to like this room, uh, and they walk in, and Theo ends up snatching the onk off her chest, and uh, the Aramite is there, like, "Give me, give it to me," and he's like, "You want it, blind man?" So this is where they kind of establish that he's blind. He's like. I'm going to overlook this. He's like, is this what you've been hunting for? And he ends up thinking I could, if you want this so bad, there's a lot of other people who want, who would pay me. And he mentioned some of them. And one of them is uh, the cold flame, which is the people who were after Timothy Hunter in the Neil Gaiman books of magic book. That was like the evil wit uh, magic thing. So it always makes me kind of wish that I put the books of magic uh, in there. Um, and Aramite is like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. And he just slugs Theo in the nose. And as far as I'm concerned, killed him in that panel. But he kind of lingers on for a little bit. But he looks like he smashed his nose uh, into the back of his head. And that's like a creepy, creepy Chris Bacallo panel. Oh, yeah. Um, and I like... Uh, uh, Aramite's like, say something. Can you hear me? Kind of a deal. And she's like, I'd like my onk back. And I think Theo needs a doctor. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, it's you. I recognize the voice. Um, he's like, I have stuff to do. I'm going to go. And Lee locks him in the room. And Dee Dee's like, oh, come on over here. Like, Theo's hurt badly. And he's like, oh, I don't care. He got what he deserved. And Death just lays into him. He's like, I don't want to hear that stuff. He's not breathing. I'm sure he's done a lot worse than saying not at the end of a sentence uh, because that's what Sexton doesn't like about him. But uh, get over here and give me a hand and just shut up, you know. And he ends up holding his head up because, you know, he doesn't want to choke on his own blood. Uh, And they're like, I I like that he's like, oh, I'm really hungry. Like you shouldn't have thrown that hot dog away maybe, you, you stupid guy. Um. So they're going through all the junk, uh, like reading magazines and stuff. And it's like, are you really the spirit of death? Uh, you know, because he ends up dying. He's like, you can let him go. It's a death route. He's like, I thought that was something people just say. Well, it is something they say at the end. Well, if you're death, shouldn't you have been here? Um, and this line blew my mind when I read it in 1992 or three or whatever. It's like, I was here. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess, you know, you kind of got that. And he's like, I've never seen a dead body. And she's like, I have. Um, he's like, uh, what do you think is going to happen? He's like, he's going to kill us all. He's like, dead men tells no tales. He's like, 
just like everybody tells tales, Sexton. It's just the dead talk more quietly uh, than other people. Um, but he won't kill you? He's like, no, I'm too valuable. Uh, poor bad head. He's like, what's that supposed to mean? She's like, she trusted me. Uh, and now I'm probably not going to come back. She th- probably thinks we messed up. He's like, uh, but I did promise you a night to remember. And she's like, oh, don't worry, though. I think we're going to get out of it. Uh, it's like these little uh, clowns. He's like, if you knock him down, he just bounces right up again. Like us. We'll get out of this mess. See, it's fine. Watch this. And she knocks it over. And the little clown doesn't get up. And the look on, like, the first time death looks actually scared. And Sexton's like, oh, my God, we get the dead body of Theo. And then we end on the clown that hasn't uh, popped up yet. Just a very ominous end to an issue. (sighs) Again, it's only three issues. Uh, We get the setup. We get the main quest, of course, to get uh, Hattie's heart. Um, What were you calling this guy again? The Aramite? I don't the know Aramite. We get this as the stumbling block, the roadblock, and it looks as though in a very short amount of time, uh, all hope is lost for our heroes. Yep. But we have one issue left. Maybe they can turn it around, Joe. Let's hope they can turn it around, yes. Um, I love this book. Um, I mentioned so much of the strength of it is, you know, obviously Neil's writing, um, getting the focus on death, a character that very much could have been marketed and shoved down our throats and everything else ad nauseum, but that's not the sort of uh, creator that Neil is. Three issues at best, occasional cameo appearances here and there. Does it overstay its welcome, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, uh, it's great. I love it. Yep, yep. So so next week, uh, we have the finale of this, which is issue three of Death, the High Cost of Living. And then we are going to have Sandman number 50, another one-shot issue, uh, a very famous issue called Ramadan. Is that correct? Yes. And this is yet another one that won Neil a bunch of awards. Is this the one where they finally changed the rules of the science fiction fantasy writing awards so that Neil can no longer win them. I'm trying. I, I actually think that was the, uh, William Shakespeare one. Okay. The William Shakespeare one. Cause that's the one that like really won the awards. You know, they, they love Shakespeare. The, the snooty people love Shakespeare. <laughs> um, so we'll have information about that. Of course, you know, and it's normal scheduled time, of course, cause we're early this week. Um, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out our T Public store. The sale is going up on Thursday for the weekend, 35% off everything. Get designs inspired by this show, by soon to be named Network, Longbox Heroes After Dark. Um, 35% off. Get them on everything from cell phone covers to notebooks and everything in between. Uh, you can get shirts and pins and stickers directly from me. Just click the little store thing and it'll tell you how to get in touch with me to get that out to you. Uh, you can make any and all of your purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases that you make. You can use the affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and, and support us long box heroes at the same time. But most importantly, the best way to support us 
is by signing up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month, it's going to give you exclusive access to two podcasts a month. One is Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previous catalog. We're amping up to record July 1993 this week. And also our movie show, Comic Book Oddities. We're hot off of talking about Red Sonia, the 1980-whatever Brigitte Nielsen debuting film. This month, we're going to be watching the 81-minute festival known as Jonah Hex. Um, and a bad time will be had by all, I'm sure. Right. But at least uh, it's your first bad time. It's my second bad time. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, you get those two shows. You also get the full scans of the previews catalogs that we talk about on Previewing the Past. Maybe there's a Discord coming. I don't know. Uh, $5 a month is going to get you uh, early access to those two bonus shows. You're going to get them two weeks before everyone else. And you're also going to get uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. This week it's three days. Again, we're recording early. Um, so again, dollar, $5, no extra tiers, no whatever. Um, if the Discord pops up, don't be surprised. Join us, come say hi. Uh, all the other shows in the soon-to-be-named network are there. I don't know how any of this works. Right. Um, so then I guess all we have left to discuss is movies and TV. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's uh, start off with Secret Invasion since we both watch this. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the second issue. This is called Promises. Um, so we get flashbacks to the events that happen in Captain Marvel. Uh, the Carol Danvers, Brie Larson movie, where Nick Fury makes the deal with the scrolls that are on Earth, essentially saying, like, listen, I'm going to do what I can to get you uh, folks your own planet. You can't have this one. But while you're here, um, if you wear a different face for a long period of time and you help me, maybe that'll help things move a little bit sooner, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the young people that he's introduced there to is Gravik, who is the villain of all of this. He is the one who is the head of everything that was going on from the previous uh, episode. The one who's been maneuvering all the pieces to make it look like this this group is attacking this group. And that group is attacking Russia. And Russia now is going to go after the Americans because what happened at the end of the previous issue. It is framed uh, to be set up by that group Americans against Russia. Over 2,000 people were killed. And now America is being called on the carpet for their ties to this terrorist organization. Um we then get the aftermath of everything as poor Maria Hill is just left to die in the streets. Um, Nick Fury does pull what few strings he has left to actually get her out of the country. And she, Nick Fury does have a meeting on the tarmac with Maria Hill's mother where he gets to be the one to say, hey, listen, I'm the one who messed up. I'm the reason your daughter died. It's not what you want to hear, but at least you're hearing it from me, right? Yep. Um... So I might be jumping around a little bit. Talos uh, does save Nick Fury and kind of shuttles him off while a bunch of the Russians grab the scroll who was posing as the head of the Americans against Russians uh, group. Stop me anytime you want. No, you're good. Uh, yeah, the Russian, they left him behind. So I think that he could get blamed kind of a deal. But yeah, they drag him up. And it wasn't so much the Russians. Maybe it was the Russians. It was that friend of Fury. 
So I don't know what her allegiances are, to tell you the truth. But she goes in the Russians, when she goes to interrogate him, they shut uh, him down. She, she shuts him down and ends up getting all the information. She's very goofy, but I, I love her as a character, and I feel she's very dangerous. They do a good job of balancing that, you know, put you off guard levity yes. with uh, doing damage. And when she ends up, like, injecting the scroll and cutting his finger off, I was like, Ooh, not a nice lady. It was yeah, that interrogation sequence mm-hmm. um was very threatening. It kind of put a lot of heat on her as a viable threat, right? Right. Um so again, we're all over the place with the 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 episode, but there's a bit on the train where Nick Fury and Talos and listen, I like Samuel Jackson a lot and I feel as though um the fact that they they got him to do a TV show on Disney Plus, they're maybe giving him a little bit of rope to do whatever he wants, you know? Mm-hmm. So right. he gets to kind of tell these verbose tales mm-hmm. that maybe seemingly go nowhere that, you know, if you said, nah, we don't need the full backstory of you and the girl behind the barn and what was in the box of lunch, but what did you guys use as the box? You know, I get that he's painting a picture, right? But I just want to say he's done that before. I understand that he's done that before. Because my favorite one is when in Winter Soldier, uh, where he's telling Cap the story, why they're building all the helicarriers. He's talking about his father coming home each night with the lunch bag from the elevator operator, the tips. And I'm like, so as I'm I'm watching, I'm like, this is reminding me of Winter Soldier. And that's always a good thing, Joe. Touche. So so he and and Talos play a game of tell me something I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Game he and his mother played when they were on the train, when he was a kid. And the long and the short of it is Nick Fury squeezes the information out of Talos that not just a couple scrolls are here, all of the surviving scrolls, almost a million, if not over a million, are on Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's way more than Nick Fury has accounted for. Yep. Uh, he thought it was like a room full or maybe a large room full, but now a million and they have no, tr- no, no way to track these people, no way to know if they're living among us or otherwise. So he has a big blow up. He tells Talos, this is your stop. It's time for you to get off. Um, we then get the bit with the uh, so we see the news covering all of this. We get the guy from NATO. We get the prime minister of the U.K., we get Shooter McGavin on fake Fox News. <laughs> I love that you call because that's what I was going to call him. It's Shooter McGavin. Yep. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? It turns out that all of these people that are featured in the scene are part of the Scroll High Council. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Gavrick comes in. They call him on the t- the the carpet for this. Um. Talos's daughter, Gaia, wants to go in to the room. They won't let her in. Gravik gives Gaia his gun and says, if I'm not out in if I'm not out in an hour, just start shooting people. Right. So essentially he goes in and stages a coup. And mm-hmm. essentially says, Um, I did essentially what you wouldn't do or couldn't do. Um, and now the time is to strike. You're either with me or against me. All of them are with him except for one person. And she's like, this is wrong. We're going too far. And he says, okay. 
if I had 100 people like you, then this would be easy. Right. But you're free to go, and I promise you will not be harmed. And I, I hope- did like that bit. You know what I mean? Yes. I like, hope Gravik lives up to his word. I, I do, too. I want him to be the honorable guy, but I don't feel that he's going to be honorable. You know what I mean? But anyway. Right. And she's a stooge for Nick Fury anyway, or for uh, Talos. Right. Yep. She contacts Talos, lets Talos know what's going on. So now the timetable is being moved up. But while all of this is going on, we mentioned about the interrogation um, that uh, Sonya Fallsworth has taken over. But now Nick Fury. Oh, so the United States is called to the carpet for the actions of what happened with the terrorist group. So James Rode, Colonel Rhodey shows up. They give him a bunch of crap because the president didn't show up. Rhodey speaks in a lot of hearsay and allegedly's. And I'm (laughs) not going to believe a Russian produced photo. You know, he does a very good job of weaving and bobbing around all of this. You know, so they really can't pin anything to him, the president, the United States. And then as he's leaving, he gets the call from Nick Fury. He and Nick Fury meet up. And then this is a great scene with Nick Fury, Colonel Rhodes, where they have it out. And Rhodes essentially fires Nick Fury. He's done. He's out of shield. You ain't going back up to your, your spaceships or nothing like that. You're done. You've made a mess of things. You cost us one of our best operatives. Hit the bricks. Mm-hmm. Great scene. Powerful scene. Great scene. Another thing I would like to say, there was one time where Rhodey is talking to Nick Fury and he's blah, blah, blah. And he's like, listen, Nick. And like, I don't know if whatever, but nobody calls him Nick. The only people who ever called him Nick were like Maria. I think Captain America called him Nick. But everybody else calls him Fury. So I'm I think they're setting us up to think that Rhodey's a a uh scroll, but I think it's a big red herring. And um I think he's gonna end up saying, like, oh, it was because I fired you. You're not Fury anymore, you're not the head of shield, you're not this, you're not Saber, you're just a nobody, you're Nick now. You know what I mean? That was kind of way of driving the point home, but it's just weird that nobody really calls him Nick and Rhodey does in a world of who's a scrawl, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't read that much into it, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if and how that plays out. Yep. And oh, then, uh, oh, Gaia. There's one thing with Gaia. Gaia ends up like, you know, Talos's daughter ends up looking into things and she ends up finding out and through other stuff that, uh, Gravik uh, has somebody working to make scrolls better, a scientist, stronger. Joe, is this the door opening for the super scroll? I can only hope. Oh, I just hope he doesn't have group powers because that was on the board. I hope he has Rocky powers and invisible powers and fire powers and, and fantastic stretching powers. Joe. Oh, Mr. Fantastic. Yep, but it's the only thing I could think of when I saw that a scientist was trying to make scrolls better. I'm using air quotes, by the way. That's a fantastic way to get in into these shows, the Super Scroll, and not having access uh, directly to the Fantastic Four. Yep. Um, and then, of course, we get the bit at the end where Nick Fury returns home, 
and he uh, gets a kiss from his loving scroll wife, which I think we knew. I think that was intimated somewhere. That I don't know. I, I didn't okay. even know he was married. I thought that it was a big surprise that he's married. Mm-hmm. Because he comes home and she's like, did you forget something? And he puts the ring on, you know? So I so at first, you know, because they, they show her in full scroll cooking. Mm-hmm. And then when Nick Fury comes in, she's changed back. And I'm like, okay, this isn't a thing where he doesn't know. Obviously, he knows she's a scroll. And then she's like, oh, did you forget something? And I'm like, oh, is this going to be a, a gimmick where they reveal that Nick Fury is a scroll? Mm-hmm. But no, we get the reveal that we're married. And I don't know if it had the same shock, like I said, because for some reason, I feel as though they may have telegraphed this somewhere, maybe like in a post credit scene or a throwaway line or something. Because obviously, I feel as though this was set up to have a big emotional punch, but it did not have that emotional punch uh, as I had expected. Right. But do you think he knows she's a scroll? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I honestly, I'm I, I'm thinking yes, but I don't know because they do the bit where he comes in the house and she's a scroll, but when he comes around the corner, she's human. You know? I think he knows. He's yeah. Nick Fury. He has to know, right? Right, right. But he's Nick Fury who's not on his game, Joe. That's true. So we'll see. Uh, but all in all, I'm really liking the show so far. I'm the same way. I really love it. It's I like I said last week. It's I'm a sucker for an espionage feel kind of a deal. Absolutely. Uh, so you, Todd, got a chance to see Indiana Jones Five and the Dial of Destiny. I did not get a chance to see this. Right. Uh, could not fit it into my busy schedule, sadly. Yeah. Well, how how uh, spoilery do you want me to be? So in case you want to see it. I'll be seeing this when it's on Disney Plus in six months. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, so this one, obviously, like we said, is like uh, his fifth one. He's in his 70s or whatever. It takes place around because uh, the, the the moon landing afterwards because the astronauts are in town for a parade kind of a deal. So that's where we're set up. But it starts out in a you know flashback because they have that – de-aging face technology yes face technology um and it takes place in world war ii uh with indy trying to you know recover an artifact and through a series of events he finds out that it's fake but they may have another artifact that he's half an artifact that he's interested in and him and this other guy uh toby jones if you know the actor uh they end up getting it and going off and they set up the villain who I can't think of his uh, shoot name is Mads Milkison. Mads uh, Mickelson. Mickelson. And he's a scientist uh, for the, for the Nazis. And he ends up coming over into our time, like the, the future for America for rocket science. And he ends up trying to find the MacGuffin that uh, Indy has the half of and how they come together. And Indy's at the end of his career in new in new york uh working for this uh school and he's kind of like played out if you get you know like he's older he's not doing adventuring and how things have affected his life what's happened to marion what's happened to mutt as this goes on and then the guy from the past his uh daughter who's indy's goddaughter shows up and says i'm looking for this and so is uh the villain and they go on an adventure because Indy gets framed for the murders 
that the Nazis create. And in the end, they're just trying to bring back, recreate through a series of events, the, uh, the third Reich. Um, and they go on this adventure. We meet, uh, Antonio Banderas is there. There's like a new kid who is like a short round, but for this, this woman who's, uh, Indy's goddaughter, who's not exactly what she says she is. Um, I had fun watching the movie because it's an Indiana Jones movie, but, but being a fan of those first three Indiana Jones movies, this is so green screen. Like I ended up uh, running into Becky at sheets afterwards. And my favorite quote about how the movie looks is from her. And she goes, she goes, if it wasn't Indiana Jones as Harrison Ford walking, it was all CGI. I mean, like ridiculous amount of CGI. I can't get past the, 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 the facial stuff. They do a bit where he's a little older um, as Indy, like halfway between the World War II one and modern one. And that works a little better. But man, oh man, hearing old Indy's voice come out of the CGI and the tr- like every everything. There's no sets in this movie for the most part. It's all green screen CGI. That's so disheartening to hear. Yeah, it's really off-putting as a fan of practical effects and matte paintings. You know what I mean? Uh, but like I said, I did I hate the movie? No, I had I had fun. The woman, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I think is her name. She carries some of the action in it. But neither one gets over on each other. They help each other throughout it. Um, uh, I even said when I, when I talked to her, I said, uh, it's what well, it was better than uh, Crystal Skull? She's like, that's not a high bar. And that's what everybody's saying. I'm like, it's the last one. I had to go see it. Do I recommend it? Yes, make your own call because me and her are like have two different opinions. I had fun. Josh loved it way more than I did because I nitpicked it. Yeah. She hated it. He loved it. I'm the I'm I'm right down the middle. But you did like the flash. But once again, like I said, too much CGI, and I don't I I honestly think when you nitpick the movie, some of the stuff I was like. Okay, that's too much. But I get this one, but this one, I think you're going to watch this one and, like, with the CGI, be off-put. But, like I said, the story is fun. If you can get around the MacGuffin, like, because the MacGuffin's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you, it's unrelated, I'm going to send you this from The Flash. Okay. You talk about Flash merchandise that you need. I need lots of merchandise. Are you on my computer or on my phone? Uh, oh. whatever you're on the Skype on. Oh, that looks beautiful. That's right. That's an Indonesia Flash movie branded mop bucket. You know what, though? You could clean up at, at super speed, Joe. Hopefully. Limited edition, too. Yeah. You could clean up all the slop that Flash left over for you. So if any of our listeners are in Indonesia and yep. got a line on a Flash mop bucket... Todd's yeah. uh, birthday is next year. We can get it. Looking, looking to buy, Joe. Yeah. Let's go see if there's any on eBay right now. Um, but yeah, it just there was just something about, like, I, I saw the trailer for Indy when we went to go see Gardens of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think myself and a lot of people were kind of burned with Crystal Skull. 
Yeah. I don't hate Crystal Skull as much as most people do. I'm the same but, way, and I'll say I love the, the refrigerator scene. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that, like, of the things that you could point at that are wrong with it, I just think the fact that Indy is old and sad in the movie. And he's and older and sadder in this. And that's the thing. So the, the thing that bummed me out the most about Crystal Skull was that Indiana Jones, this character that I loved from my childhood, like, that Crystal Skull came out what, like... 20 years after Last Crusade? Yeah, I think so. And then, like, so he's old and he's sad and he his voice doesn't sound right. He doesn't have, like, the like even as from an acting point of view, like, Harrison Ford feels like he's not giving it his all. He feels like he's cashing a check. The movie itself felt like they were setting things up so that uh, Mutt, uh, Shia LaBeouf, would be, like, the new one who would take on, like, the new adventures of Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And then literally every aspect of the movie ends up being a failure. Yep. And none of that stuff ever happens. And it just bummed me out. And then here we are now, 15 years, or, like, however many years later it is. 10 years later, 15 years later, whatever it is. They're like, let's trot out even an even older and sadder Indiana Jones, and let's try it again, and hope people forget about the mess that was Crystal Skull, for better or for worse. And even just seeing the trailer, I'm just like, he's so old and sad, it bummed me out. And I don't want to go to the movies to be bummed out. See, I, I will say this. Um, yes, because uh, I'm going to bum you out a little bit more, and then it comes back around. Um there's a bit like in the thing where she shows up and you find out it's his like near the end of his career because like you could tell they're given the wherever he's working is given him the brush off retirement party. And there's a great gag where like they give him this this gold clock and he has to kind of like give the speech. And then he just walks out in the street and the first guy he sees, he just hands the clock to him and walks off. And it's just kind of sad, but he gets that like that's the thing. He gets to have one last adventure and then i will say at the end of the movie like all the problems with the movie like there's a there's a bit of nostalgia like it gives you what you need at the end with nostalgia and i was fine with it and i love it and it kind of ends solid as far as i'm concerned and it's probably the best acting i've seen out of Harrison, like, like you say, he's cashing a check i feel like in this one he wasn't he was legitimately trying and it, it felt good, but it was just like the, like I said, the look, the story's not bad. The story's not bad. It's the look. I'm with you. I don't need a 90-year-old Indiana Jones, but this is the last go around. I don't see any more happening, though I do see a certain out if they want to go on with the franchise, you know, from the movie. Uh-huh. So we'll see. You'll watch it on Disney+. Plus. I'll watch it on Disney+, Plus when it's on there like Christmas time, you know? Yeah, see, I've seen every indie movie in the theater. Uh, you might have two, I don't know, but I was like, ah, I'll, I'll do it with this one too. So. No, I was too young to see the first two. Um, it was the first one, and then I think I like I didn't see Raiders in the theaters, but I definitely saw Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade, and Crystal Skull in the theater. Yeah, I definitely saw. Raiders in the theater because it had Han Solo in it and there was like no way I wasn't going to go see that movie 
And I don't know. That was 81, I think, Raiders was. Right. So if Raiders is 81, I know the first movie I saw in the theaters was Empire, which was later in 81. Right. Or was that the other way around? Was it Empire and then Raiders? Um, hmm. Because I thought that's the way it went. And then uh, Jedi and it was Jedi and then Crusade. Well, Crusade, Jedi was 83, Crusade was 89, you know? No, I meant to say Temple of Doom was after uh, Return. That's what I meant to say. Okay. Um, I'm trying to look to see release dates on these things, you know? Yeah, because Temple of Doom was 84, so that was definitely after Jedi. Yeah. Uh... Or was no so okay so I stand corrected because I think Empire Strikes Back was eighty. Yeah, that's what I was saying because it yeah. was he he films Empire comes out and while it Empire's coming out he's filming Raiders and it's the okay. same way with Temple of Doom it's Return of the Jedi he's filming it comes out and while it comes out he's filming uh, uh, Temple of Doom. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, but Empire was definitely the first movie I saw. It might not have been on like on it, it might not have been on its original theatrical run. You got to think back to this was back when movies would just be in the theaters for like months and months and months. Oh, you know? oh yeah, and you, I'm surprised that you saw Temple of Doom in theaters because Temple of Doom, I was 11 when Temple yeah. of Doom came out. 11, maybe, and I was too young for Temple of Doom. That movie's you, no good for kids. You're talking a pre-PG-13 whatever. Right. Right, and you're talking about my parents unwittingly rented the Grindhouse classic I Spit on Your Grave to watch with us, you know? Well, that's just bad parenting right there. Well, listen, take, it's, is taking us to go see Temple of Doom in the theaters good or bad? Better than I spit on your grave. All right. Of the two. Again, you didn't you you didn't have that sort of information in 1980, whatever. You just there's a horror section, there's a comedy section, there's a drama section, there's a new release section. Yeah. You know, you already rented the movie before it, you rented the next movie, right? Yeah. Parents didn't go see a movie and then take their kids to it. Right. But yeah, I'll never forget seeing Temple of Doom in the theater and being a kid. And there are a few parts in there that Joe, I don't know if you know, I, I had trouble handling as a 11-year-old Todd, 12-year-old Todd. I might still have trouble handling them as a year old Todd, you know? So I remember, um, and again, we're way off track here. You know, we're just riffing. Um, I remember... Um, not being scared of the scary moments in Raiders of the Lost Ark because it wasn't framed as a horror movie, like the way that it worked in my kid brain. And I'm almost certain that the finale, and listen, we're doing our best not to spoil 40-plus-year-old movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when they did the, and I already seen it on VHS or HBO or whatever, but ABC was doing the world television premiere event of Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And they show the finale on network TV at like nine o'clock prime time on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty scary, right? But isn't Raiders really the only gore that they have in Raiders is uh, Dr. Octopus gets killed in the cave in the beginning. Right. But you don't even really see anything. Right. He comes around the corner and he's got like spears thrown. Um, and then it's just the the head exploding. You can't even see it. It just happens. But the face melt. Is uh, now you could you could say the blood splatter of the guy in the propeller. Yeah, but that's not to me. That's not like seeing the guy cut up. You know, like well, like okay. a face melt. You don't see the guy cut up, but they show like the spray of blood, and that could yep. be interpreted, right? Mm-hmm. But you get the face melts. But to me, the face melt is nowhere near the dinner scene. In Temple of Doom, because that's just gross. Right. And then the heart scene is a thousand times worse than the face melt. (laughs) Thousand times worse. The dinner scene, I think because it was played for laughs. Right. I was okay with it. Right. And I'm almost certain that, um, because this is another time, you know, we have the internet now to spoil things. Back then, we had the trading card sets to spoil things for us. Okay, yeah. And I'm almost certain that there was a detailed photo collage of the heart-ripping scene from Temple of Doom in the bubblegum trading cards that you can get at your local convenience store. It was a different time, man. It was a different time. <sighs> Molaram. Oh, I want to watch. I want to watch Temple of Doom right now. Yep. But what I want to do is I want to end the show. And thanks, everyone, for hanging in here with us as we kind of riffed and had some fun talking about good Indiana Jones movies. Yep. The best one's still Crusade, but go ahead. You buy the current Blu-ray box set, you have uh, three movies and a coaster to put your drink down. (laughs) You're terrible. (laughs) All right. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. This was episode 665 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying... Have a happy and safe 4th of July, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.